do have a question for you. And that question is, have you ever considered how many rat hairs would be acceptable to eat? Anyone ever ever considered that? No? Um, how about uh, bug parts? I did eat a couple of earthworms once uh, after... Uh, after I was trying, when I was trying to raise funds for missions, so I think that was that was legal. But I did have barbecue sauce in a in a hot dog bun. But that's a whole other story. We usually don't. Uh, I don't know if if you've never thought about eating those things. Um, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, has uh, has published a booklet. Maybe you're aware of this. Maybe you keep it in your uh, in in your kitchen. I don't know. It's called the Defect Levels Handbook, and in it they list over a hundred food items, spelling out the maximum allowable level of defects that permissible before the FDA considers that food is quote adulterated. So a person can find out acceptable levels of foreign matter in, allowed in food, meaning things like sticks. Stones, burlap bagging, cigarette butts, insect filth, rodent filth, mammalian excreta, insect parts, flies, mold, rot, sand, and grit. So all of those things uh, have some... Maybe you're wondering. I I know you are. I didn't bring the booklet with me, but I do have a few excerpts. So if you are planning on... I don't think spaghetti's on the list, so feel free. But um, apple butter, just... Just uh, if you're planning on a little apple butter this afternoon, uh, needs to have uh, it can have a twelve percent or less of uh, a mold count of twelve percent or less, and no more than four rodent hairs per one hundred grams. Peanut butter. Here's a good one. No more than thirty insect fragments per three and a half ounces. Uh huh. Canned tomatoes, no more than 10 fly eggs, or or five fly eggs and one maggot. Now that's just, you just got to draw the line. Can't, can't do popcorn, uh, 20 or more gnawed grains per pound. So rodents gnawing on the, if you find 19, we can still sell it. 20 or more, can't, uh, can't, can't sell that. Canned mushrooms, only 20 maggots per 100 grams. So, so you're, you're good. Uh, if, anyway, chocolate. Sorry, I'm gonna, gonna go there. Um, might ruin Easter for some of you. 60 insect fragments per 100 grams. Once you reach 60, then, uh, then, then it's, it's adulterated. But 59, it's all right. We can go ahead and. Just one more, macaroni and noodles, uh, noodles in general, 225 insect fragments and four and a half rod- ha- rodent hairs per 225 grams. That's all. That's, I mean, it's not much, right? Just a, just a little bit, right? I actually read this week in an article citing sources like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, so I think it was, it was decently credible. It said that the average person eats one to two pounds of insects every year. Whether you, you didn't know that, but you do. Anybody, we should have passed out little barf bags this morning, I guess. Um, 
I think we assume that we, we, that the food that we eat is pure, right? We, we assume that it's, that it's healthy, that it's safe, that it's pure. And they actually say that it's, it's healthier to eat some of these, uh, these things than it is to eat the pesticides that we put on the food that might kill some of these things. So, uh, that's a whole other debate. Uh, we're not gonna go there t- today, but, uh, today we're on to the next in Jesus' list of the hashtag blessed, right? The Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and today we're, we're focused on things that are people that are pure, the pure in heart. We're walking through this list. Uh, we've only got a, a couple more to go after today, uh, but uh, maybe we finally come to one that we can relate to a little bit. I, I don't know. Up to this point, the uh, the, the blessed that Jesus has, has has called out, the people that are are blessed, it kind of seems counterintuitive. Uh, the poor in spirit, the merciful, the meek, those who mourn—they don't necessarily be—they're not necessarily people that, that that society lifts in high esteem. Uh, of course, we've studied why uh, we should lift them in high esteem, but 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 they're not necessarily necessarily what uh, what we would say uh, we'd see a person like that and we'd say wow they're blessed uh today though it might make a little more sense uh, just like we saw with food it seems like we want things to be pure right uh, we we'd at least say that's the goal and, and the truth is that we want that with people too we, we even uh make and uphold laws uh in order to uh, to to try to keep society as pure or as good as possible right and so we have laws and and the police force and the courts and and, uh, and and jails and even booklets like the defect levels handbook in order to legislate or regulate uh what is good or what is healthy or what is Pure. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about uh, what's in our food. He's talking about things in the spiritual realm. He's talking about being pure in heart. And he says that if we are, that we will see God himself. So I want us to read through this list again today. Maybe you have it memorized by now. This is what the sixth time we've, uh, we've gone through it. Um, but let's read together Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's something unappealing about impurity, right? Uh, on Tuesday morning at our house, uh, we woke up uh, to, uh, from in, uh, kind of bringing us out of our morning stupor uh, by the sounds of what appeared to be our toilet exploding. Um, I'm not saying someone blew up the bathroom. This is a completely different conversation. This is that the toilet was... Anyway... It was much more than I could handle at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, I took the thing off the, the back tank there, and the tank is being filled with muddy and black water, and the bowl is being filled with muddy and black water. And so I go downstairs and try to figure this out, and I'm turning faucets on, and and a lot of air and a lot of dirt, but not a whole lot of water. And you'd think, you expect, we expect when we turn our faucet on that we would have pure water, right? I 
I think this happened just because I was preaching on purity today. And so therefore, now, so through the course of a couple of days, we had a water main break down the street. They fixed it, I guess, but uh, it took three days before the faucets and the toilets stopped going. They didn't, it didn't explode. Just let you know the end of the story. I know you're worried. So, uh, so we expect, we have this expectation about purity. Uh, with a lot of things. Uh, there's something unappealing about impurity. When you flip the faucet on, you expect clean water. When you spread peanut butter, you expect zero bug parts, right? That would be, that would be the goal. Uh, the idea of drinking muddy water or eating insects does not go over well. Purity is appealing. So in our, in our, uh, water, in our eating, what about with our hearts? What, what, what is he talking about here? What, what is our heart? First of all, I guess we have to say, your heart is a lot of things, I guess. The essence of, of who you are, uh, at the, uh, at the core. It's your thoughts and your motivations. It's your inner life. It's your desires, your, your, your drives, your, your, your passions, your, your spiritual life. It's the, it's the, it's, it's, it's all over the Bible as, as the importance of, of, of our hearts. Uh, and, and in the Old Testament, we're commanded to trust the Lord our God with all of our heart. Proverbs chapter three. Uh, we, we're encouraged to hide God's word in our heart. The prophet Samuel revealed that God does not evaluate people by outward appearance, but he looks at the heart in the New Testament. Jesus echoed the words of Deuteronomy when he said that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, when describing the kingdom of God, Jesus uh, revealed that the, the things that come out of the heart are what defile a person. He told the Pharisees that the words that we say are just overflowing out of our hearts. He also taught where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Apostle Paul prayed for the saints to have the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. He also said that we are saved by believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Our hearts seem to be a pretty big deal. It's all over scripture, cover to cover. And Jesus says, it's the ones who keep their hearts pure who are hashtag blessed. He's really just emphasizing what what King Solomon had said a thousand years earlier, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the source of life. Keep your heart pure. Guard it. Otherwise, your life, your whole life gets clogged up. The heart is important. Keep it pure. So how do we do that? What does that mean? Uh, is it really possible to keep our hearts pure? When I think about pure, I think clean, uh, I think clear. We've already seen, though, that the FDA has a little bit different uh, definition of pure, uh, and, and it includes bug parts. And so that would be go against a little bit of what I'm thinking about what pure is. Uh, did you know that there's an acceptable level of arsenic in our water uh, that uh, that comes from this? Isn't that isn't that nice? To, so, so pure doesn't necessarily mean the what what I mean. How 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 pure do I have to be in order to be able to be blessed and to be able to see God? Is, does God grade on a curve? Is this how does what, what's what's going on here? How can I? Uh, I mean, is He expecting me to be completely and utterly no bug parts pure? What are we What are we talking about? Ever since God uh, started interacting with humanity, there's been this expectation of being cleaned up or or uh, good or pure or making sure things are right with God and our relationship with him. 
uh, Adam and Eve in the garden uh, ate the fruit and, and they knew that they, they didn't measure up. They had sinned. Sin had stained them. And so they hid from God because they knew they weren't pure anymore. Uh, and so uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see God set up rituals and sacrifices and practices in order to, to deal with people's sin. And they were purification rituals of sorts that they went through in order to be seen as holy or in good standing with God. Uh, certain sins required certain sacrifices. And, and uh, even in the desert, the Israelites are wandering around for 40 years in the desert and God still expected them to go through these cleansing and purity rituals in order for them to uh, to deal with their sin in his sight. Uh, being clean, being pure seems to be a big deal to God. But can we ever be pure enough for God? Well, I'd like us to, uh, to, to come at it from a little bit of a different angle this morning and, and change the conversation just a bit because being pure in heart certainly does mean being clean but maybe a better way to think about it is 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 being pure in our desire if if our if our heart is the seat of our desires then then god wants us to desire one thing he wants us to desire him uh, that's a purity of desire, desire, a purity of heart, desiring one thing. It's what the Bible refers to over and over again as having a, quote, undivided heart. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Ezekiel eleven nineteen talks about uh, God giving them an undivided heart and putting a new spirit in them. Second Corinthians seven nineteen says uh, that that He's uh, doing things for their own good, not to restrict them, uh, but but so that we can live a, in a right way uh, with undivided devotion to the Lord. Soren Kierkegaard once uh, wrote a book. I believe the book is entitled "Purity of Heart Is to Will One Thing." I, I, uh, without, uh, for, for sake of time, I won't go too much into it, but go ahead and put up that picture, Dave. Uh, it, Michael Phelps. I heard a podcast just, uh, real recently, uh, interviewing Michael Phelps' coach. Um, now, Michael Phelps, if you've been living under a rock for the last 18 years, uh, most decorated Olympian, 28, uh, medals, 23 of them gold, uh, swimmer, uh, amazing guy, and his, his coach is talking a lot about his pre-race ritual. And, and, well, he talked about a lot of things, but, but that was one thing, and he told this story about, uh, Michael getting ready, and you've seen him there with the, with the headphones on before, and, and getting ready to step up in the blocks, and he says music has a lot to do with Michael's pre-race ritual, and also visualization, and, and, and really just focusing on, uh, literally every stroke, he's visualizing what's go- what needs to happen in that. And, and he told this story about one race, and and his uh, the, the the his biggest uh, rival was uh, was right in the lane next to him. And so Michael's going through his pre uh, pre race rituals and and doing everything exactly uh, as he as he usually does. And this guy next to him is literally mocking him, almost going through the exact same stuff and staring straight at him, just really trying to trying to intimidate him. And uh, so then after Michael beat him, uh, they, uh, the the coach uh, talked. To, to him afterwards and, and he said man what about that guy really just trying to intimidate you uh, uh, be, before the race and, and Michael said oh was he looking at me hadn't even seen it didn't, didn't even it was right there and he hadn't even seen it single mindedness <laughs> an undivided heart it, for him it was for that race for us it's, uh, it's all about seeking after 
after God. There's a, there's, there's a passage in Philippians, and again, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it all, but, but uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14, I'd encourage you to, uh, to, to, to read through that. But it, it talks about Christ, uh, about Paul, uh, and his, his uh, undivided desire to seek after God. He says, uh, I want to know Christ. Everything's a loss compared to, uh, compared to knowing Christ. And so uh, he says, I want to know Christ. That's the goal. And, and down, uh, several verses into that passage, he says, uh, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the picture of a, of a runner straining, uh, with every muscle, uh, heading toward the finish line, right? Uh, it's, 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 uh, the finish line for Paul, the finish line for us is knowing Jesus. Everything in Paul's life was all about his relationship with Jesus. Uh, and, and so that line in verse 13, he says, but one thing I do, uh, it's, it's actually interesting, um, in the, 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 there's been a couple words added there in English so that it reads better for us. But the words I do are not uh, not in the, the Greek. Uh, basically, it just says, but one thing. And it's there as emphasis and probably would be an exclamation point uh, as Paul is is in prison and he's he's uh, I just picture him pacing back and forth as he's dictating this letter to a scribe who's who's uh, writing it down, writing down uh, Paul's words as and and, and he's saying, uh, man, I've, all this great stuff in my life, it's it's just it's a distraction because there's only one thing, there's just one thing, and I'm going to press on until I get that. I haven't gotten there yet. I don't know Christ as much as I can, as much as I will, but but I I, I know him. More than I did yesterday, and I know more than I did last week, and I'm pressing on, and I'm going, and it's just one thing, and there's all this other stuff, but but that's all this because there's just one, th- it's just one thing, one thing, singleness of mind, uh, singleness of devotion, purity of heart, desiring one thing, and that one thing is knowing. Jesus. Paul knew that he hadn't arrived yet. He knew that he he wasn't uh, bug part pure, so to speak, right? He knew that he knew that there was still stuff that he's working on and he wouldn't be there until he got to heaven. Uh, but Jesus still said that it's that purity of heart, that purity of desire to know him, that's what is blessed. A purity is a partnership between us and God. We will one thing and, and we do all that is in our power to know him more. And then he does the cleansing and the purifying. God does the hard work. It's what we what I mentioned earlier in the service about consecrating ourselves to God. And we allow him to do his work in us. When It's interesting. When we come to God and we let him... Save us, we let him uh, forgive us, uh, we come empty-handed, there's nothing we can do, uh, we just come and say, God, here, uh, here I am. And he does his, uh, his work in us, and he, he takes us, and he forgives us, and he, he cleanses us, and, and, uh, and he sets us on the path. But then, then it didn't, doesn't just end there, that's just the, the, the starting line, right? And so as we live life with God, uh, it's not just that we go, okay, God, uh, um, 
do, do your stuff and I'm not going to do anything, but it's a partnership where he leads us to do things and to, uh, to, to purify, not just to allow him to purify, but also to purify ourselves. Uh, there's, there's a, a, an old Anglican bishop over a hundred years ago, J.C. Ryle. He said it this way. In justification, uh, that's, that's, uh, he's referring to the salvation experience when we accept Jesus into our hearts. In justification, our own works have no place at all. Simple faith in Christ is the one thing needful. In sanctification, that's this work of uh, of God cleansing and purifying us. Uh, in sanctification, our own works are of vast importance and God bids us to fight and to watch and to pray and to strive and to take pains and to labor. So there's a partnership there, right? The Bible says that we're saved through faith by grace and then over and over again we're admonished to partner with God in the work of purifying ourselves. James 4.8 says, uh, wash your hands sinners, purify your hearts you double-minded. 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. Uh, 1 Peter 1.22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. First John 3, 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So there's some things that we need to do. We could spend the rest of the day talking about some of those things uh, just to summarize them uh, today for you. The uh, first thing is that we need to get rid of distractions. How do we purify ourselves? We need to get rid of things that might distract us from the goal. What is it that distracts you from knowing Jesus, uh, from becoming uh, uh, more pure, from becoming more holy? What is it that divides your heart? Is there a relationship that's pulling you away from Jesus? Do you have habits that aren't pure? Is there sin that is uh, that is pulling your heart away from Jesus and 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 toward temptation? Are you, are, are you just too busy with, with with everything to have any time for God? Uh, what is it that's distracting you? Of course, there the, all those things don't necessarily have to be bad. I mean, other people and habits and other activities and things. Those are great things in our lives as long as they don't divide our devotion. <laughs> that we are devoted wholly and exclusively to God and all these other things uh, uh, fall in line after that. So it goes right along with it. Not only do we get rid of distractions, we also need to focus on the goal. Again, that undivided heart. What are we actively doing that is bringing us closer to Jesus. Uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, the praying, reading the Bible, uh, fasting, worshiping, meditating, uh, getting quiet and getting close so God can direct our lives. If we're not uh, doing those things, uh, it will be much, much, much harder for us to, uh, to, to hear the direction of the Spirit. And, and yet, if we've already uh, set in motion that I'm going to have an undivided heart and I'm going to be pure and I'm going to partner with God to, to, uh, that my desire is a whole devotion to God, then these things will just kind of fall in line and and we'll want to do uh, the things that we need to do to get to know him more. I, I think I think we'd uh, do well to spend a lot of time in Philippians 4.8. Uh, maybe you need to look that verse up and, uh, and, and print it and put it on your DVR or uh, put it on your computer desk or put it on your mirror so that you see it a lot. Uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things.
Are we filling our lives with things that are distracting us from the goal or helping us get closer to the goal of knowing Jesus? Well, it says that if we, uh, if we have a pure heart, if we have that undivided heart for God, if we're, we're uh, that pure desire to know him more, it says that those are the folks that get to see God. Pretty big bonus there, I would think. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it's easy to say, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God because only the pure in heart want to see God. Uh, if you're not pure in heart, you probably don't want to uh, encounter God. Uh, it, it's a promise of, of heaven to come, right? It's, a, it's, it's looking ahead to what's coming. Uh, several verses in Scripture talk about that. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, clear back in Exodus, God told Moses that no one can see the face of God and live. First uh, John 3, 2 says, uh, we, we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Revelation 22, 4, talking about the end of time, says that Jesus' servants will see his face. So over and over again, we have this promise, but it's uh, all those are focused on what's going to happen uh, at the end of time in heaven for eternity. The pure in heart will get to see God face to face. What a promise, what a, what a hope that we have to be able to do that. But as we've seen in all of these Beatitudes... Uh, there's an element not only of looking ahead to the the, the perfect fulfillment of the uh, the blessing that is coming, but also there's a glimpse of what we can experience even now. We can see God when we see him working in the world. We see God when we see transformation take place in people's lives. We see God when we, when we care for those in need. And Jesus says, whenever you uh, care for the least of these, uh, you're doing it for me. It's seeing his face in, in their face. We see God and we experience him when we, when we worship, when we pray, when we open his word. We, we, we experience his presence. We see God. I, I guess maybe we could say that we see God when we're looking for him. And that's what the pure in heart do. Because their desire is to find him, to seek him with all of their hearts. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's purity of heart. An undivided heart. Seeking him with all your heart and all your soul. You can't be pure. Sinlessly perfect. You can seek after the one who can make you pure. You can have an undivided, pure desire that God blesses. Purity isn't so much about straining out rat hairs or bug parts. (laughs) Although that is a worthy goal. I think we should probably take that away. That is a worthy goal. Some people... uh, even have the idea that purity is something that we have when we're young and then we can lose it, right? When we mess up. But here I believe we see that there is, that purity isn't something that we lose, it's something that we gain as we will one thing, to know God. And the more you grow in purity, the more you will see God. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, we thank you again, for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you are a God who, who loves us and a God who desires what's best for us. We thank you for the, the life that you promise us. 
We thank you for your, your presence and for the times when we can catch a glimpse of you as you work in our world and in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we can truly have pure hearts devoted to you, uh, seeking you completely, desiring to know you more, desiring to have your will accomplished in our lives and through our lives to those around us. Lord, I pray that you would purify our hearts even as you are pure, that we can seek after you, that we can know you, that we can have fellowship with you, that we can, we can uh, see what you are doing and, and how you make all the difference. Lord, I pray that wherever we find ourselves in, in, uh, in our spiritual journey today, that we can uh, take the next step, that you would do your work and, and have your way within us. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that, that you would lead us, that you would lead us in the conversations that you desire us to have, that you'll give us boldness to speak up for you, that you'll help us to make the decisions that honor you, that you will help us to represent you well in the world where we live. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the ways that, uh, that, that you are going to bring about transformation in our lives and the lives of, of those that we touch as, uh, as we seek after you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.